Hey, everybody. Welcome back to 30-something with Sunny. This is the podcast where we talk all about motherhood, self-care, and second chapters. I am so glad you're here. Today's topic is, uh, it's pretty serious stuff. It's heavy stuff, but it is much, much needed. Our guests on the show are Daryl Butler. He is the owner of Butler Consulting Group, BC Innovations. Um, They specialize in diversity, inclusion, empowerment, and work-life integration strategies. We also have freelance journalist Cecily Wilson. She's also the owner of the nonprofit Wow Legacy Group, Women Overcoming with Willpower. So a little backstory, as many of you have been experiencing over the past few weeks, I have been asking what I can do, uh, what my role is in... um, creating change in this world. The issues with racism are prevalent and have been. The thing is, a lot of us have been blind to what has been happening. And in my small way, I am doing what I can to um, create conversations that can hope, hopefully um, educate us all on how to be better people. Um, no matter where you are and where you stand on this, I hope that this conversation will open your eyes to the necessity we have right now for change, the necessity we have for connection. The goal in talking about race is for us to have a better tomorrow. If Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, I know I have a lot of moms and dads, parents who who listen to this show, and we relate on a lot of topics about um, raising children and the struggles and the joys, the challenges. And um, I really encourage you to listen to this episode with open hearts and know that we all have a role to play um, in eliminating racism. It is an uncomfortable topic for white people because a lot of us um, didn't really realize what white privilege was until... Um, we were forced to um, sort of self-reflect on the way the system is built and um, helps us and hurts others. Um, it's a, it, we need to talk about uncomfortable things to grow, though. And Cecily and Daryl have been um, so kind to just come in and share their personal and professional experiences to open our eyes and to help us be better because that's what it's all about. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as always, I am here if you guys want to talk or continue the conversation respectfully on uh, social media. I will tell you um, where to find me and Daryl and Cecily on the flip side of this episode. But I hope you enjoy it and that you walk away with something um, that has changed you a little bit inside. Everybody enjoy this episode. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. As you heard me say in the intro, um, we are having a conversation today that is aimed at growth and change and opening people's hearts. Um, I have with me in studio Daryl Butler. He's the owner of Butler Consulting Groups, uh, Butler Consulting Group, BC Innovations. They specialize in diversity inclusion empowerment and work-life integration strategies. We also have Cecily Wilson, who is a freelance journalist and a nonprofit owner. And I appreciate you guys coming in. I said on the phone when we talked before, you know, this conversation, I really just want to share your personal professional experiences. Um, Of course, we'll have historical references to laws and things that have changed or happened in our country that have impacted the way race relations have gone. But I really want to approach this just from a person-to-person perspective. I think hearts need to be opened, and we all need to understand where to start. So first things first, I'm starting generically because I really just want to know where your hearts are at at this moment. Being a black person in America right now feels like what, Cecily? Exhausting. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's exhausting. Um, it's an emotional tie and pull on all levels. Your emotional roller coaster goes from sadness to anger to hope to just being pissed off. So it's an emotional roller coaster, and this is something that we've lived silently for a long time because we have to. But today, now, in this age, we are able to unapologetically say what we feel and how we mean it. Mm -hmm. And this is where we are. What about you, Daryl? Yes, I'm going to tap on a word that Cecily just used, unapologetically. For the 25 years that I've been in the DNI space and the diversity and inclusion space, I have oftentimes described myself as an unapologetic black, black man. And I say that in corporate settings. I say that in a room full of C-suite white guys. And they kind of look at me like, have you, has he lost his mind? What does that mean? <laughs> do they like, what, do they laugh? Yeah, it's like, right, it's like, oh boy, oh no, yeah. is this where we're going? And, and of course, I, I'll, I'll say that, you know, once the relationships have been built, so it's a little less challenging for them, I'll say like that, maybe even threatening. Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> what you're seeing now is just that in a wider sense. Uh, black folks are saying, we are going to approach this conversation in an unapologetic way because of the other word that Cecily used, which is we're exhausted. We've been doing this and, and, and time and time again. I created last week for a client, and now more and more clients are calling up to say, hey, can we, can we get mm -hmm. that presentation, that discussion that you created? It's called uh, Race Wrap 2020 Revision. And the reason why I have that title is because the first race wrap was, that I did was in 1992 when I was in grad school. And if you think about what happened in 1992, that was the Rodney King incident. And then the next race rap that I did was in 2014 when I went back home again to St. Louis, which was after Michael Brown. And so here we are again, and this is just three instances of when I've created this conversation called race rap to do what? To really help other people outside of our community uh, become comfortable in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Why has it taken so long? And, and guys, I, that's I should, the question that we're asking. Well, you know, and, and I addressed this in the intro, but I, this is worth mentioning again. I, I know I don't speak for the entire white community. You don't speak for the entire black community. We are all imperfect people working toward a common goal. So yeah. I really want to stress that. And um, the the goal here is to get uncomfortable. So I really, yeah. I, you know, I want to know the the deep feelings that that are associated with this and i i sort of interrupted you but i want to let you continue like are do you, are you ever like why did this take so long no we ask that question all the time and i think the exhaustion comes from the fact that it's the same story it's the same protest it's the same signs the same chants the only thing that's different are the names year day hour after hour after hour. What's different about this one? And I said this a couple of weeks ago. I think what's different is that we have a camera. <laughs> You're able to see it with our own eyes. Now we saw Rodney King, we saw that. We heard about Michael Brown. We heard about Trayvon. We did not see it. And now we actually see the victim and we see the uh, 
murderer. Mm-hmm. We see both of them, and we have a face and not some obligatory name or figment of our imagination, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason why it's now taken to this point is because the entire world is now saying, I see you, and we're calling it what it is. And it's about time. But we've been saying it, what, how old am I, 55? Right. <laughs> I've been saying it for 55 years, right. right? So we've seen it. And we've all had our own personal connections with racism in our way, even my profession as a journalist and as as, as a mother. So mm-hmm. we've, we've experienced this. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up your experience as a journalist and um, having had experience in that field too, I understand the difficulty there can be with certain stories and separating the woman from the story, the mother from the story, the black woman from a story. The, the threads of association, some of the stories that you've covered, I'm sure, have impacted you on a personal level Absolutely. in journalism. Um, now that you're out of the, you know, officially the TV business and you're able to um, more candidly share your thoughts on that, how, how hard was it having been on set, having to be the... Um, objective face of some of these stories. Absolutely. It was it was it was challenging. It was challenging because there were times when we would have to cover um, a story and I clearly know that this man is white, but we don't say that they're white. Right. Male, five feet tall, brown hair. Right. But if it's a black man, they literally say black man with dreads and you know five feet tall. I'm like, well why could we not distinguish mm-hmm. that? when you're pointing it out. So it's things like that, that really irritated me that I could not say, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And as a journalist, I often know there's an underlying message for journalists, and I mentioned this to you the other day, that if you are black, more often than not, if you're not in a market where there are, you know, multiple, you know, a large population of African-Americans, then you're in a community, you're going to be banned to the weekends. It's Mm -hmm. the weekend (laughs) <laughs> graveyard. Right. That is the that is the role that you're going to play. And we're like, why? Well, we can't have too many black people on the air. Be- has well, that why? Been, has management, had management ever said that to you? No, no, no. You just... You, you yeah. don't say it. Right, of course. They're never going to say right. it. Right, right. But, but you ask any African-American woman or male in the business, and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's that weekend newscast. And in, in bringing you back into, like, from the mm-hmm. corporate and professional side, I see Daryl just, like, kind of shaking his head over here. Like, um, your job is to help companies break down the systems that have historically kept minorities yes. at, you know, at, at a lower place on the professional totem pole. When you hear Cecily say something like that, you know, and you, I'm sure, have seen many examples of that yeah. in your time, too. How, how I'll, do you... I'll, I'll tell you, media is the biggest culprit of this <laughs> because it... It is designed to perpetuate the look and sound of the of the majority population. And that when I say media, I'm talking from news media all the way to the space that I even played in for a while, which was in the acting space. Mm-hmm. And I I was in corporate America with locks down to my waist almost, mm-hmm. a director in corporate America. And I went on my first uh, open casting call, and they were like, oh, we want you. We're going to put you on the roster. I said, fantastic. And then the next question was, how married are you to those dreadlocks? What did you say? I said, I've been in corporate America for 10 years. I have 
I, I, I told the president of the number one pharmaceutical company in the world, which is where I was working at the time, that I would never cut my locks for this organization. I would definitely not cut my locks for this industry. And so you walked? No, I said, they said, okay. They said, okay, okay, good. Yeah. I mean, this but it's taking a stand. Paper. I think those yeah. who were bold enough to yeah. take a stand in that way, oftentimes we can't, you know? We have to make a decision. Either you want the job or you don't. That, you know? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mean to like have the shocked look on my face. And and as a woman, I certainly, I mean, I've been told I can't, told I can't wear pants. I have to wear dresses and short things. I I, I don't get it on that level. But to have someone mess with who your bodily, like who you are as a person, I is um, it's got to be a very discomforting experience, uncomfortable and angering experience. Well, you will probably notice over the last maybe year or two that you will notice that you see a lot of African-American women who are on the anchor desk mm -hmm. now wearing their naturally curly hair and some even wearing um, braids. Mm -hmm. That was a no-no. You, you had to have anchor hair. Oh yeah, the anchor hair. The anchor oh, yes. hair. It's so uh, it's that whole phenomenon is just like in an orbit of its own. The whole you know trying to keep a certain image or a certain absolutely. But but it is sort of testament to big corporations' reticence to broaden what America looks like. But America has always looked colorful. America has always looked different. Yes. Um, it's just one industry, though, that seems a little slower on the uptake yeah. when it comes to some of this stuff. Well, that's that's the power of privilege. And in particular, what we're talking about now is race privilege. And in the U.S., the race that has the privilege is white privilege. Let's, okay, we got to dive into this. Okay. So I, I put this, I, I, I'm starting to think, again, I am not perfect or um, infallible in this discussion, but I'm starting to realize in discussions that I'm having on Instagram, social media, um, in person, that lots of people did not know this. Lots of white people did not know that privilege existed. Really? And Are you serious? Well, the, the, and, and this is a question I got. I solicited questions for this interview from a group specifically called White Women Against Racism. The point of this, and, and guys, I know a lot of you listeners out there are women. I, we, we talk a lot about motherhood stuff. And this, so what I'm saying, like, the questions I'm getting, most of these are from women. And I wanted to speak to them, too, because I'm seeing some reticence, people not wanting to understand. I'm hearing an all lives matter. I'm hearing, we'll get to that. I'm hearing, um, well, you know, uh, I worry about my son out in the world too, which even as a white person, I'm like, mm, well, you don't have as much to worry about. But anyway, I really want to open people's hearts to understand what white privilege truly is because there is a blindness to it. I absolutely am seeing that there are people refusing to accept that the color of their skin has impacted their success in life. So let's do a primer. Let's break it down for what exactly that means when you hear that phrase, white privilege. To me, that means you have the, the leg up automatically. It's an automatic, you were born with it. You know, you may not be rich. You may not, may not have been born into wealth, but you were born with that skin, which automatically gives you privilege. It doesn't matter. And so when you have that, that means that you can say, do, go, be, whoever you want, even in the workforce. So someone who looks like me, you and I have the same skills, probably the same education. I'm probably a little more qualified than you but you will ultimately get the job because you are a pretty white girl. 
I would, that would make me angry. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yes. You, yes, you hear the term angry black woman and you can, when you hear it described, you can understand. And anyone who says, well, I don't, I still don't get it, hasn't obviously heard it yeah. from the perspective of a black woman yeah. or a black person. Mm -hmm. um, when you've had conversations with white women or, or men, but anyone you're trying to, to sort of help grasp this concept, how can you, how can you beyond that explain the privileges that that confers and help people to, because you're, you're saying, which I think a lot of people are starting to recognize, oh, yes, I have this, but now what do I do? Mm -hmm. If I am the one who was, um, by virtue, you said, of how and where I was born, given this extra advantage, how can I use that to lift others? Where do we go with it? Speak. Yeah. Use your voice. Use your privilege, you know, to help someone else. And if you have influence, that's where you can take that, that control. That's what I want to talk about. Does vocal support matter? I went into this whole thing about, and I think it does, but people were coming back to me saying, no, 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 I, I don't want your voice. This is white people. You know, y your voice, stop patting yourself on the back. It's your actions that matter. And there are two schools of thought. So does vocal support matter in addition to actionable support? I'm going to say, yes, it matters. But I'm sure that Daryl's going to disagree with me um, because I think it's both. Yeah. It, it, we want your words, but don't come with, you know, blanket statements With just or the black square photo ops. Right. No, no, don't do that. Right. Show us. Uh, my mother would say, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. Yeah. Bottom line, do it because action speaks louder than words. What are your thoughts on that, Daryl? The, the, the I, verbal I go support. back to the shooting of those elementary kids and, uh, in Newtown, Newtown mm -hmm. Connecticut and all of the prayers that came and what did Hopes the parents say? We don't need any prayers anymore. Yeah. We need action, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we're saying. Right? Yeah, we got it. Your words are fine. your words are you know comforting and encouraging, and we need action. I posted two a couple of Mondays ago a little meme that I created. I said, "Dear white people, leverage your white privilege while managing your fragility to be a force for systemic change." How does that look to you? Give us an example of organizations worth supporting, actions worth taking, any small thing that someone could take away. Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, I mean, Colin Kaepernick, you know, if you, if you are working in an, in an environment, you know, of hiring people, look at the practices. If your CEO or the company lead has sent out one of these letters of Black Lives Matter, yeah. I... Apps immediately call for what I call an accountability audit. If you've sent out a letter or any kind of communication, then you need to look inside of the organization to look at the policies and practices of the organization to see if what you're doing is consistent with what you just said, mm -hmm. that black lives matter. Because if black lives matter, then we're, we're examining our promotions, we're examining our hiring, we're examining our environment that uh, by way of engagement surveys that says, okay, is there a difference in the experience of African-Americans mm -hmm. in this organization from others in this organization? Mm -hmm. And if there's a gap in those engagement uh, results, then we need to address the gap and thus stop pretending as, as if the gap doesn't exist. So practically speaking, if you were, for example, working with a client who was using this as an opportunity to overhaul the way their company looked and yes. uh, you know where their employees came from, would you check back in three months, six months, a year? I mean, d d so what you do involves sort of checking back in and making right. sure that the in changes the ideal are world. sticking. In the yeah. ideal world. So, and, and you know, f I've been in DNI for 25 years, diversity inclusion for 25 years. 
we give people uh, a roadmap to diversity is what mm -hmm. we call it. The response that 90% of the time we get is, that looks like a lot more involvement than I was expecting. Can we just um, do some training? What? And now for the last five <laughs> years, <laughs> for the last five years it's been, can we do some of that unconscious bias training? That's really what we want to do. That's all for. they want to do. That's exactly it. Check, check so that box. means that they don't really want to do the work. They just no. want to check the box. They want to look. The if they were Instagram, they would want to post the black box and be done with yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. No. And right. that's not. And, and so. When which is we, why we're here. Yeah. Which is why we're here. <laughs> but also when we're talking about. Uh, let's go back to Colin. You know, just recently, uh, I'm not a football person or whatever, but the commissioner goes on and says, oh, you know, we've not done enough. We've not done enough, and yeah, we need to really pay attention, but yet you don't say who started this in the first place, right? and then you ban him, say his name, say you apologize to him, and bring his ass back on the team, period. Right. That's simple. That's easy. That's something that we know you can do, but you're just not doing it. Use your privilege and make sure that you can get this man back to work the way that he's supposed to. Yeah, that was so... Uh, God, I mean... I remember having a conversation with a friend, and I was like, I, I get it. And they're like, but I fought for the country. And I, yes. It was never it was about, never about, about the country, and, it and was, that was the yeah. thing. Yeah, never and about that the conversation country. sort of symbolizes what this whole, the, the broader issues at hand here. Right. It's never just about one so, person yeah. or one instance. And that's a great example of privilege, of white privilege in particular, is the whataboutisms. Right. <laughs> right? It's, well, what about black-on-black -black crime? Well, what about... The fact that I fought for the what what about what about me the, what, what about me what about me yeah that yeah. is an immediate discount of the black experience right there's an immediate discount of what someone is sharing with you when you especially when you say when you're talking if we're talking to the allies of your audience and your audience to not jump so immediate to the to the defensive state because mm -hmm. that is a complete discount I've right. heard women say my contribution is raising good children. What do you say to that? Well, my, my black mother uh, contribution was raising a good child as well. The bigger challenge is that her black child has to worry about a walk mm -hmm. around Dr. Phillips mm -hmm. every time I go out for my three-mile walk in the morning or whatever else it is. Or, and, and, and her grandchildren uh, had to have a talk by her black child to say, when this happens... This is what you do. And her grandchildren are 10 and 15-year-old girls. Yeah. And let me, let me address that point. Um, both um, Daryl and I have been a part of an organization called Jack and Jill of America. And say um, an organization primarily made of African-American mothers who want to support their children in efforts of being leaders and educators. And, and they're surrounded by men and women of influence to show them this is who you are, be proud. And the majority of the children are primarily around white people all the time. And so it's a chance for us to make sure that they know who they are, the value that they bring to the table. So while these individuals and our children have been around influence quite often, we literally had to have a session for our children. Here's, we brought in police officers, here's what you need to do when you when you were stopped by a police officer, here's what you need to do, how to behave, what you're going to say, how you're going to respond, all of those things. But some of these kids were like, mommy, we're not going to deal with that. Why? That's not going to affect us. Baby, you're black. At the end of the day, 
you may your your mom may be a judge, your your dad may be the CEO of Pepsi or whoever, but at the end of the day what they see is a black male and they don't care who you are. Those are the types of talks that we have to have with our children on a daily, not just periodically, mm-hmm. on a daily I have to make sure that, oh, my babe, if I'm my daughters, they're all teenagers now and older. But even when they're out now, I'm like, my daughter's at school at Howard in University in D.C. And when she's working and coming home from, from work, call me. I need to know that you're back in your dorm safely. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you have me on the phone if you're, you're riding the, the train or something. I, I need to be on the phone with you. I should not have to do that just to make sure that my baby's going to get back to her dorm room okay. Yeah. That's not fair. It it really doesn't feel like a conversation that should be happening in 2020. And, and a big part of the disconnect is I think so many people think, well, the civil rights era has passed. The work is done. The civil war is over. There is no – and, and it is, to use a phrase, not so black and white. It is not because one thing, now this. But it, it is the argument that I think a lot of people go back to. They think the work has been done. Right. And they think – now we can just coast. Clearly, we cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me clarify that real quick. Yeah. That was the lifetime of Cecily and I, literally, yeah. 55 years. That's crazy to me. That's it. That's not that this long is ago. one generation. Yes. Compared to 400 years <laughs> right. of systematic racism. And when I say systematic racism, I'm talking about a system that was designed to keep a certain part, part, a certain part of, of the population down. Can we dig into that? Absolutely. People want to know specifically, like, what does that, what does that mean? So, you, you talk, so let's do the intersectionality of the conversation, mm-hmm. the, the spirit of the conversation today, police force. Right. right? The historical uh, design of the police force was to do what? Was I, to keep slaves. I had no idea. At their masters. Yeah, there is. I listened <laughs> to a podcast this past week. Yes. Yeah, and it was yes. even the star of the badge of the police officer was the original design that was used when these men would patrol to keep slaves slave on patrol. property. I had slave no idea. Police, police force came out of the slave patrols. And those were not trained people. Those were white guys giving guns to say, go get my slave back. Yeah. Now, once slavery was over, what do you do now? Because now slavery is over, there's no slave patrol anymore. Oh, but we still need to keep black people in their place. And so the police force was, again, designed to keep black people in their place because now we don't, we, you know, the white privilege in the, and, 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 that, and, and back then, clear and explicit white supremacy was to say, we are, even though the law has changed, we still have to protect our property and our family. Now, you're no longer my property, but I still got to protect my property that I do have. What are your thoughts on, and, and, and we will be approaching this obviously from a non-completely like completely sort of clinical and analytical perspective, mm-hmm. but your sort of knee-jerk reactions to the defund the police movement. Are you comfortable like going into that, and do you think police reform is part of the solution? I think police transformation is needed. Okay. And when I talk about transformation, that means that we, we absolutely, transformation cannot occur in, in your comfort zone. Transformation occurs at the edge of your comfort zone, not within. I'll say it again. Transformation occurs at the edge of your comfort zone, not within. That's for the listeners mm-hmm. and for the folks who try to make policy change. So to get to transformation, you ha- absolutely have to disrupt systems. Right? Elon Musk is transforming the auto industry. Why? Because he is the epitome of disruption of the auto industry. 
when you talk about um, uh, Steve Jobs, he disrupted the electronics industry, the phone industry. Right? So we are okay with, again, white guys disrupting systems to create new. Now we're simply saying for the black community, let's disrupt the system to create new because for 400 years, it has not worked. Let me rephrase that. It has worked the way it was designed to work. <laughs> which isn't, which is hurting. Which is not section of the a population. way to work for us. Yes. So how, how does that look practically? People will hear defund the police and there are fears of um, chaos Camden. in the streets. Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is a great example, right? They dismounted the police force. They, and, and they started with a blank slate. Now, does this matter in the police force, does that mean that everybody gets to go all willy-nilly and go buck wild? <laughs> no. Defund the police is simply saying, and, and there are, there's a number of resources out there. If you Google beyond, right, <laughs> right the comfort bubble, uh, there's a number of resources out there that really talk about what it means. It's about reallocating funds. It's about, you know, if you've got a $2.5 billion budget uh, for, the, for the city, and 90% of that is going to police activities that could, you know, 35% of that or whatever could be redirected to therapy or, or, or you know, therapists or, or mental health experts, whatever have you. So it's looking at the totality of what the police are going to do uh, and getting called for mm -hmm. and seeing what, what instances can we have someone who is unarmed go to, as an example, have a conversation with a man who is sitting in his car who has fallen asleep because he may have had too much to drink. Yeah. That does not take an armed person. That takes a, hey, what can we do for you? Can I call you? Can I call you a cab? Can I call you Uber? Can we know? Can we get? Can we call your sister? You say she doesn't live too far? Let's give her a call, see if she can pick you up. She can't? I'm going to get you an Uber. We're going to drive you over there, man. Mm -hmm. But instead, they're like, oh, he pointed a taser at us. Really? It's n not lethal weapon. Right. Mm -hmm. There have been so many other ways that you could have de-escalated that situation, mm -hmm. but you chose not to. Mm -hmm. He's running away from you, not posing a threat. Again, different ways that we can really approach this, and like you said, Daryl, transform that police department across the board. It does not work for us. I've had a personal relationship with that police department, the Florida Highway Patrol, so again, there are so many ways that you could have de-escalated that situation. So, yeah. Can we talk about your experience? Absolutely, you can. So, um, I want you to sort of, like, bring it back. For people who don't know, Cecily's been, like she said, in television journalism in Florida for a while. You were working in Tampa at yes. the time when this happened, so mm -hmm. sort of just to set the stage. Mm -hmm. Tell us what happened. I literally just started working at Fox uh, in Tampa, and I uh, was driving from Atlanta, picking out my wedding dress, getting ready for my, my new wedding, right? I uh, had a major wedding planned, Ritz, Amelia Island, wonderful time, right? I'm driving back, and I, unbeknownst to me, went through a construction zone, and the speed limit dropped. However, I was going 75, and it wasn't an excessive speed, but it was a speed. I didn't realize that the cop was following behind me. I saw the lights, but they weren't like up on my butt, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm moving from one lane because I'm thinking, oh, they're trying to get to the person in front of me, so let me get out of the way. Okay, uh, I'm still in the way. Let me go over this side. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, wait a minute. Is he following me? I pull all the way over to the edge of the, of the road. 
when I rolled on my window to try and use my pretty p privilege, because pretty privilege is real, <laughs> it's nothing like white privilege, but it does work sometimes. So I'm thinking, I'm going to roll down my window. I'm like, hi, officer. Why are you stopping me? But what happened, I see a gun in my face. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? I had no idea what was happening. And all I knew, I was driving, and all of a sudden, I'm at this gun in my face. Finally, it holstered the gun, then he pulled out pepper spray. I still would not get out of the car. I'm terrified. Recently reported on a man impersonating an officer raping women. So in my mind, as a journalist, mm -hmm. I'm not getting out of this car. This is the safest place for me right now, because you're going to have to pull me out. And that's literally what he did. Pulled me out of my vehicle threw me on the side of the road, but then this turned into a three-day trial, court TV trial, all because this man decided he wanted to, I don't know why, but pulled me over, but he could have just said, you're speeding. I've been trying to pull you over for the last five minutes. Mm -hmm. Why pull a gun in my face? And he could have shot me because I literally reached, I had my reporter's bag behind the back seat. I didn't travel with it at that time, so I pulled reached back here to the back, it, and because I'm a woman of faith, it was like the Holy Spirit said, Cecily, turn around. Because had I not turned around, he probably would have shot me and said, I thought she was going for a gun. I probably would not have been here had I not dropped that bag, left it there, and I just would not get out of the car. I was terrified. This turned into a three-day trial, as I mentioned. Three different police reports that had conflicting statements throughout I was alleged to be um, to to be a uh, out of control bombastic woman, like I just could not control myself. That I bit, scratched, and kicked the police officer, like really made me. And those who know Cecily now, I, I talk a lot. Yes, I do, and I've got a flip mouth. But in an instant like that, I was terrified, and that is not what happened. But I was made to believe that's who I am. They took that story and made it to what they wanted in order to railroad me. And had I not had the finances and the wherewithal to fight that, I would have spent a year in jail for nonsense that did not happen. And how many black men have been railroaded profiled for whatever reason, but don't have the resources to fight that case, right? Right. And so now I have a different perspective of, of that. Now, I don't hate police officers because my godfather is uh, an officer. He's now retired. And so I, I don't, ha don't hate them at all because I know that there are good ones, and I know them. But you have to realize that there's a system in place that they don't consider us first, as human, they're like, you're already black, you're probably doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Automatically. Like, really? Come on. And so that's that's the power that I, 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 I get so upset about and I get angry. And so this just kind of like struck a nerve all over again that here we are again in 2020 and we're still saying the same thing. Oh, but what? Oh, but what if? Oh, all of those other extras. Well, white lives matter. Police in life matters. You know, all of these things. But we are the ones that are on fire right now. Mm -hmm. We're on fire. 
and no one's coming to help us. Do you feel hopeful that this moment of time, moment in time is different than any others? You brought up a good point. Technology allows us, at the very least, to see the entirety of one experience, i.e. George Floyd. That being a new sort of development since the last time that this country has addressed this on a wide scale, are you hopeful that this is a different moment? I think Daryl said it the other day, we're optimistically hopeful. Yeah. Because we know. Cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic, yeah. right? Because we know we've seen this before. <laughs> the evidence has been right in our faces. Right. Trayvon Martin's killer got off. Rodney King got off. All of the other officers got off. So. God help us if those men who that killed George Floyd are exonerated. You think the city is burned down? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not condoning that type of behavior. But the yes. anger that people are already feeling as a result of that, it's going to be escalated. Right? Am I right? Absolutely. And it's generational. It's right. It's the, the next generation is ready to burn some stuff. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and and. Right? And, and I'm I try to encourage people who are because the, the the experience of being a journalist does allow a lot of us to see things from different different perspectives. Perspective. It's a gift. I uh, listen. I'm really crappy at a lot of things, but it's a gift I know I have when I'm when I'm hitting a wall trying to explain why I feel a certain way, especially about this issue, or why I choose to act or be vocal. It is don't look at it from a perspective of you're a white person. Look right. at it from a perspective of you're a mother. You yes. have a kid. What if that were it? Until we reach, have you ever math? had to have that decision uh, conversation with your how, how many children? I have three do you kids. Have? You have three children. Mm -hmm. Do you have any boys? I have one boy. Okay. Have you had that conversation with your boy about how how to react when no. he stopped by a police officer? No. And do you and, think, and it's do you, you think you're going to have to have that conversation? No. And it it saddens me that a mother out there does. Yes. I. You talked about the Trayvon Martin case. We covered that extensively. I was still working in news and. It is hard to keep a professional face on. When we got off set and we saw his parents, we saw Sabrina and we saw his dad, and someone said to me, well, don't you know that he... I said, listen to me. If you looked in that mother's eyes, I swear to you, you would not come from this perspective. It is not a... Um, but, like you said before, but what did they do? But what, what is the reason? But what if? What... It's not. And until we reach a place where we can find that common denominator, I just, I encourage people, if, if you're a woman out there, if you have a child, all you have to do is place yourself for a moment in, in the, the shoes. shoes. Even if it's just doing what you said, having yes. a conversation about yeah. how to stay alive. If that doesn't chill you, you need to do some self-reflection. Yeah. If it doesn't give you the, change your DNA Absolutely. to know that there are people who are worried about their children surviving a trip to the store. The bus stop. Yeah. <laughs> you right. need a mirror and some reflection time because you are yeah. not above this problem. I want to share with you a quick story. When, when the Trayvon Martin incident happened, the Trayvon Martin killing happened, and then the subsequent release um, you know, of, of Zimmerman, at that time, my daughter, I think she was 10, and she had been taking karate class. And so I did sort of check in with her, and we lived in a, in a guard-gated community in Dr. Phillips. I said, when, if you were approached by a stranger who was following you and then you started getting scared and then you got into a scuffle, what would you do? And she said, oh, Daddy, I do what I learned in karate school, in karate class. I said, oh, okay. I said, okay, but I need to do one more thing before that. 
I need you to yell as loud as you can, there is a stranger trying to hurt me before you defend yourself. Because now the story had changed once again for black people. And for my 10-year-old, who was in a class of all white kids learning the same karate, but I was probably the only one that had to tell their kid in that class, before you defend yourself, based upon how we're teaching you to defend yourself, Mm -hmm. I need you to let anybody around you know Mm -hmm. that you are the one being harmed. Because otherwise, the narrative will change yep. that you were doing the harm. That's yes. sad and sickening that that is the yes. reality. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I've I heard this on social media, and I, you know, we've been seeing the hashtag "Listen and Learn." Um, I think another thing people need to do before they come from a place of judgment, because white white fragility is real. And I'm not again saying I'm above or better, but it is real. It is hard for some people to understand the inherent role that they have in some of these dynamics. But just to pause and listen. It is hard for some people, and and that's why I wanted your personal experience as part of this, because a lot of white people have not had the opportunity to just sit and be around people that are different than them and say, you know what, actually this is what happened when I tried to wear my hair natural at school, or I tried to, you know, where I got pulled over. I mean, if you, it really doesn't take work to just sit and listen, believe someone when they tell you their truth. But for some reason, there seems to be an obstacle. There's some, there's some block between people believing this for some reason. Here's how powerful white fragility is. In the diversity and inclusion space, for the last 20 to 25, maybe even 30 years, we've removed the conversation of social justice and racism from the conversation of diversity and inclusion in corporate America. Why did we do that? Well, because you know, to talk about social justice was uncomfortable and uneasy for these C-suite guys, mostly white guys, and so we had to come with their language, and their language is business and bottom line, so let's t- stop talking about social justice. And the isms, oh my goodness, we really can't talk about the isms because that really makes people uncomfortable. So we stop, stop talking about the isms. Well, what that comes down to is for the last two to three decades in the diversity and inclusion space, we have systematically managed white fragility. <laughs> That's one way to put it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? No and one's going to say it like that how, but me. <laughs> but how, and how do you break, how do you finally break through? I mean, if now isn't the because time. Because the last two weeks, the, it has flipped. Yeah. So now that will be part. Now, if that's, that's why I'm telling clients, if you have sent out a communication of Black Lives Matter, what that means is no longer am I managing white fragility. Mm-hmm. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Mm. I am actually, because we've now seen the the inevitable intersectionality of social justice, racism, and yeah. business. You can't separate America. them. They, they're not separate. That is, we, I, we've artificially separated them for 30, yes. 30 years to make white people comfortable. They're, they're, they, can't separ- they can't be separated. If it's you separate. take one thing away from this conversation, anybody listening, just please hear the unintentional sort of, not damage is the word I'm, you know, that sounds aggressive, but the unintentional side effects of what we've been born into. We didn't even, please understand that that's part of the discussion. Yeah. yeah. Let, let, me, yeah let me give you a real, uh, real uh, um, example here. So just recently, I was having a conversation 
Um, and it was with um, a white guy and a white woman, and we were working together on a project. And the conversation from the white woman said, I think I want to talk about what's happening right now because I feel like I should use my leadership role and my platform to say something because if I don't, maybe I'm complicit. The white male said, oh, no, 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 I, I don't think you should do that. This, this, that's a powder keg. You know, you've got clients. You need to be, be mindful of that. I, just let it, go, let it die. And by the way, you, we're going to have a, a, a meeting over at, on, on Bumby, and there's going to be a riot over there. And so we're on a Zoom call. And so as we're talking, my facial expression must have changed because the person said, do you have something you want to say, Cecily? And to make people, white people, comfortable, my response was, yes, um, I wouldn't call it a riot. I'd call it a protest. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a riot. It's a riot. You weren't there, blah, 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 blah. And like, it may have started, it may have ended that way, but it didn't start that way. It's a protest. People just want to have their voices heard. No, 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 no. And I got so upset that I started crying, not because I was sad, but because of the hurt. And like, this is so exhausting that I can't say, dude, are you a freaking idiot? You know the difference between a protest and a riot, but you're making it sound like it's a riot because there are a bunch of black people out there. What's the difference between someone uh, protesting about their rights on Capitol Hill with guns and all of those other things? Really? Those the juxtaposition of those images were quite jarring. Hello. The, yes. Absolutely. I want a haircut versus I can't breathe. I mean, if again, if I really feel like you need to check your humanity if you can't do an objective comparison between even the visual cues we're getting, then I, I do think I have lost many Instagram followers for, for just even asking questions. That's okay. That's fine. But people are uncomfortable. I, and it's, but I think it's stop. okay to ask questions. I mean, I think that's where we need to have this start yes. the conversation Absolutely. is by talking, have those conversations, those hard conversations, those questions. If you don't know something, you're, you're wondering, well, why, why is your hair like that? Why does it ha like right. twist it like that? What does that mean? Okay. Well, don't come with like, like disdain, like, I really want to understand right. what is that called? How do you get that hair like that? What is that? Ask. Right. Dispunk the, the dispel the myths and the rumors and the misconceptions. Mm -hmm. Let's get rid of that. Just ask the question. Right. Simple. Right. The gift that I always give people is and this is what Sassy's talking about. Judging creates distance. Mm -hmm. Understanding creates connection. Like that. Mm -hmm. So the ask is to seek to understand. Now if you're going to ask questions, we have to listen with the willingness to be influenced, however. Mm -hmm. right? That's true. You have to be ready to understand. Yes. I mean, it, this is a small example, but I think women can relate to the experience. We had this discussion off mic when men weigh in on reproductive rights, right. whatever whatever side of the aisle you stand on. Um, I, tap into the frustration you feel when someone, when a guy tries to understand what it's like to have a period or to have a baby. You're like, you don't get it. Just listen to me because I know, because I'm living it. So maybe people need to tap in. Every 
nobody has had that experience as much as black people in America. However, there is a moment, I'm certain, when people have felt marginalized times that by a million and try to understand that the incentive behind some of these conversations is we need to be better. You need to understand. Yes. Um, I got questions that were sent via a group on Facebook called White Women Against Racism. I went and solicited questions from people who really want to further the conversation. So can we get into these two? Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm just going to use first initials here. Kay says, I have a couple of questions. How do we, first, how do we re respond to white people who say they don't have a racist bone in their bodies? I am hearing this a lot lately. I got one for you. So you've probably heard the, it's, it's not good enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. If you haven't, get the book, Anti-Racism. Um, by Imbram, I can forget his name. I'll tell you We'll Google name. it, yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So, and, and what's the difference? And here's a little quote that, I, that we've been using in, in some training now. Uh, not being racist acknowledges that you have beliefs against racism and feel bad when bad things happen, such as, wow, that's horrible, and that's not right. Okay, get that. Um, being anti-racist combines commitment to equity with daily decision. It's about actionably doing something. So we move that last statement to, Wow, that's horrible, and that's everyone's problem, inc including mine. I'm going to get involved. Mm -hmm. right? And so there's a difference there. Racism is a system that is absolutely connected to white privilege and, in fact, white supremacy. So if white privilege is just the automatic component of being in the dominant group of race, and, and that happens to be white in this, in this nation, then we have to actively dismantle this thing mm -hmm. called racism and not passively right. sit back and, and, and say, oh, well, that's bad. And just let it happen. And just let it happen. Let yeah. it happen. It's the action part of that it's discussion we were having part. part. It's the vocal part Absolutely. and the action part. Absolutely. That was a good example. It's the when someone goes with a what, what aboutism, you say, wait, wait, no, no, you're discounting the voice of, the, of that person right, right. now. Let's listen. Listen. Let's, let's, listen. Yeah, let's not get on the defensive. Um, this, there's a second part of this question, and Cecily, since um, you're here and sort of each kind of kind of ping pong back and forth, I'll get your thoughts on this. I have some good friends who have husbands or relatives who are police officers, and they are very upset because they feel their loved ones are being disrespected. How can we have these conversations without making them feel on the defense? I, I, I think again, just being very authentic and 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 being honest there's something about simple honesty mm -hmm. the truth always prevails and so when they're honestly wondering and trying to figure out how to have these conversations just just start hey this is this is a difficult conversation but something that I know we need to talk about so can we have this conversation without the defensive? And, and I'm being very honest here, and I, and I don't know, so I need you to help me. Mm -hmm. And vice versa, whether that's a black to a white or a white to a black, it's the same type of conversation. Because the, at the end of the day, we bleed the same, we breathe the same, we're the same. It's just our outside exterior. Mm -hmm. I don't get the problem. So if we just start to have the honest conversation and talk, genuinely and honestly, I think we can get someplace. We, we're not going to solve it because right. we've got, you said, 400 years 
of this foolishness, right? I thought we had way, way gone beyond it, but clearly we have not. And to your point, Daryl, when we think about 1965, was King was murdered in 64? 68. 68. So even at 65, we're three years old. I'm like... I didn't, see, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. I, was, I grew up as an Air Force brat, so I traveled all over. So I really did. I think I was probably in a bubble, so I never really recognized racism, even though we were right in the height of it. I didn't recognize it. And it wasn't until an adult, as an adult, as a mother, that I start to feel it. And I'm like, I realized. It was The Butler, the movie The Butler. Mm-hmm. That was just recently, a few months ago, that I realized it. Then I'm like, wait a minute. That was 1968. I was born then. I thought it was so removed, but we're not removed at all. That's that's a sh- a shock. I'm yes. sh- I mean, it's to everybody, really, truly. We're I, not removed at all. And I don't mean to sound flip when I say I thought this was the work of my parents. My parents were fifty. <laughs> I it's, thought so too. You know, it really. I thought so too. It and I think, um, you know, I'm a spiritual person as well. It, and I think people have collectively been exhausted. Our souls have been depleted, not only because of this pandemic, but because yeah. there is something, um, you know, they say, like, God whispers, then he screams. I mean, something has been pulling at us for change for a while. And um, maybe that is the first sort of step in making things better is accepting that the work isn't done and, and that you do need, to, we all need to be part of the solution in, in the way that you can. I think that's evident with everyone now from, from Ferguson to Germany yeah, to Parliament House. I mean, like literally the entire world. Why? Because it's a collective effort. It's going to take their black people all. We ain't going back to Africa. <laughs> well, I've, I've <laughs> it's like it's not some, happening. I've heard some <laughs> European friends of mine say that the they perceive the issues to be much less intense in Europe. Like I have friends who are from all parts of Europe, really. Um, you know, the UK, Eastern Europe. And originally, I should say, like they're in the US now. But they say, you know, we actually it's really bad here. Have you had an experience with anyone who's European and what their view on? how things are racially in Europe versus the United States. So this, this, con- this came up in conversation recently. I, I have, I've been to the UK, I've, I've trained in the UK, I've trained in Scotland, I've trained in Germany. I say trained, doing some diversity training. Right. And I always hear, oh my goodness, you all got that, that, that issue, those issues over there, we really don't have any issues over here. I can go into any country, in any community, in any environment, and identify the group of people who are not of the dominant group. Yeah. And that's what I talk, I, I translate race, um, white privilege to what I call dominant group privilege. So I can take any dimension of diversity and identify the group that's not in that dominant culture of that particular dimension of diversity and identify the challenges that they are experiencing. Mm-hmm. So in Mexico, as an example, years ago, when I was in, in had responsibility for Mexico, and they came and they said, oh, that's, that's for America to worry about. And I said, okay, what about skin tone? Right? And then I can take the skin tone issue in, from Mexico over to India, mm-hmm. to the UK, to Italy, to Scotland, to different parts of, a- other parts of Asia. 
there's always something, and it's usually, you can usually find it based upon skin tone. There's mm -hmm. usually some version There's of some racism. version of racism, yeah. some version of colorism. Colorism, yes. Right, if we go there. Uh, that is absolutely equates to this thing called racism mm -hmm. as well. Now, in the UK, if, if you've got some friends in the UK that are saying, oh, we really have that, check in with the Africans in the right. area. And see and see how how their experience is. If yeah. you're in China, check in again with the black folks in China who can't walk into a store right now because the Chinese are saying, "You you have you you're the reason for COVID." Mm -hmm. That's insane. I had no idea that. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh or gosh. look at the the toothpaste that says uh, you know that just got its label changed ten years ago from Darky toothpaste with a black face on it. Where is this? Asia. Wow. I mean, we have, oh, I knew we had work to do. I knew we had work to do in the U.S., but clearly there's work to be done. There's work to do in the world. That's why the world is in an uprise right now. Yeah, yes. we, are in, we are in a state. It is. I laughingly did a blog post last week about, you know, um, astrologers predicting that 2021 will signal a time of great sort of spiritual upheaval. And the reason why is, you know, Pluto coming back into orbit after 248 mm -hmm. years. And they did all these tracking, like, you know, the last time that the planet was in orbit in this lineup was when the American Revolution happened. And so expect next year to be worse. I was like, oh my oh God. God. Are we going to, I mean, what we do it, fr from a spiritual perspective, if we gird ourselves now, these are the conversations that need to happen and let this be let this be food to your soul not an affront to yeah. where you stand let this yeah. educate you let this be a boost up and not a feel like a slap in the face because it is collective work it is collective it work. is it is collective work and i'm hoping that we can get beyond this and you you know we often heard you know oh you guys are always talking about race <sighs> can we just not that's exactly what yeah, we're saying. Yeah. When, you, when you take your knee off my neck, right. we can stop talking about it. Right. That's it. We can stop <laughs> talking about it when you take your knee off my right. neck yeah. completely. And we won't have to have this conversation. My daughter, two years ago, her senior speech. I watched yes. it. Resonated. Can you tell we, us where to find it? Like, what if we search on YouTube? It's we'll, on YouTube, and I, I'll it, put it in show notes. It's under yeah. I'll put it in show notes. I can't really find it under it's, it's under Montverde Academy, but anyway, yeah. I mean, it, but the point to that is that my child, as a senior in high school, is saying, "Hello, it's my hair it grows out of my head." Okay, if you need to take a knee. Protest, speak, use your words, whatever we need to do to change what's happening because mm -hmm. it's happened to, to her. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. And for my daughter to feel that way, for Zoe to feel that way, for someone else to feel that way, when we do everything that we can to shield them, to protect them, to provide for them so that they don't have to be that black girl or boy. Mm -hmm. So that they have a chance, but even when we live in a gated community, go to private schools, you're still an N-word, period. That hurts. And so when I get emotional even just thinking about it right now and saying it, because it's, it's enough already. It really is enough. The pain that we've seen over and over and over that constantly tells tells us you're not enough you're not enough we don't even care about you 
You can say whatever you want. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care if you are the CEO or whatever. You're not enough. And for my granddaughter, who is one year old, I don't want her to have to go through this, knowing as beautiful as as talented I know that she is, and she has the systems around her to be the best that she can be, allow her Mm -hmm. to grow up and live that dream and make it a reality. But right now, I don't know if that's going to happen. Don't know. And it's hurtful. It's hurtful. Plain and simple. Hurtful. Yeah, I, um, I, I just really want people to continue. Let's continue to do the hard work of asking white people, asking questions. If your black friends are exhausted, find, find a computer. Do a little Google search. There are ways to stay active in this beyond the two, three weeks that we've seen this recent sort of collective awareness happen. There are ways to stay. And and I'm encouraged that conversations are happening. And, you know, I would love to check back and, like, you know, bring you guys back and do another roundtable, see how things look to you. I'm hoping that it looks a lot different (laughs) later than it is right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask one more question that I got from this group here? And then we'll we'll wrap up. And and guys, we're going to have some quick hit episodes um, sort of branching off from this topic too. So um, let me just get this in because I promised this girl I would ask. I've heard some people of color express concern that the focus on police brutality overshadows Black Lives Matter as a movement. What are your thoughts on how white people can ensure we are pushing slash supporting the right message? It's an and conversation. Thank you. Yes. It's not an either or. Yes. It, the, and the big piece with the police brutality is that's the group that's supposed to protect us all. So when we talk about all lives matter, police are supposed to protect all lives and they're disproportionately killing black lives, which is the reason why, as Cecily said, our house is on fire and we gotta focus on black lives for a moment. Thank you guys for coming in and talking. Um, If you would like to follow either Daryl or Cecily on Instagram, do you guys care to share your business handles or your personal accounts or any Mm -hmm. other social media? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, it's either at Daryl, Butler or at Daryl A. Butler, or you can search for I'll the vegan it. inclusionist. You got it. That's my thing. What is it? The vegan inclusionist. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. And I am Cecily Denise Wilson on uh, Twitter and Instagram under Wow Legacy Group. It's W O W Legacy Group, which is my nonprofit. Awesome. Guys, thank you for coming in. Thank you for being vulnerable and, and sharing your stories. Thank you for having us. Thank I appreciate the conversation yeah. and let's keep talking. Yes, Absolutely. we will have you back. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you listening. As you heard both of the guests mention, you can follow Cecily on Instagram at Cecily Denise Wilson, and you can follow Daryl on Twitter at Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L-L-A Butler. And his uh, name is The Vegan Inclusionist on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Please do rate, review, and subscribe. That will make a huge difference in getting these shows out to people who might enjoy them or find them useful. I'm on Instagram at Sunny Abada, and I look forward to hearing from you and bringing you great guests in the weeks beyond. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all next week. (laughs) 